there and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and I want to thank you so much for being here with us today, being the proactive parent that you are and getting the resources you need to do whatever you can to get your child better and to, you know, we're talking about recovery, the definition being to improve their health. So improving their immunity, giving them better speech and language, a a better ability to focus and learn in a classroom, uh, a better sleep. All of these things are so important so that they can stay calm and be who they are. And as you know, as I was once told, my son could not recover from his symptoms of autism. And due to my own research, and now 15 years later, he's not even diagnosable anymore. And I know everybody's level of recovery is different. But if you know the the right steps and the thorough steps from A to Z, then you can get the best results possible for your child. And I've created a free webinar to to educate you on what those, what I call the four stages are that are crucial in optimum recovery, going through all of healing the gut aspects, the natural and safe heavy metal detoxification, clearing the co-infections, which you've heard me talk about on the show before, if you've been tuning in, things like mold and Lyme and strep or pandas, pans episodes, and then brain support and repair. And you can get uh, the link to this uh, free registration for this webinar is at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. No space is there, just free workshop. And please, please um, uh, watch that and uh, get the education there from it so you know exactly really what needs to be done to get the best results. Because there's so much going on for your child and it's much, much more than diet. And today we're going to be talking about something that is also not often detected and that's auditory disorders and interventions for children with autism. There are a lot of hearing issues that can be even related to their speech not being as good as it could be or or any type of speech disorders or you might notice a change in um, their gait. They might have trouble walking steadily. They might get dizzy. And for my craniosacral background, I also know that this has a lot to do with uh, there's uh, an, an area of hearing imbalance in the system that has to do with the temporal bones around the ears. So we're going to get into this today. We've got um, a special guest with us as well. And I wanted to make sure that you also know, because we're, you know, we've been home with this, the shut in for, from the COVID issue, and uh, you're looking for more and more at home fun ideas to play with your child. But also, I have a guide for you that is not only at home fun ideas, but it also gives you, uh, they're all for sensory processing and calming and, and actually help your child. So they're fun ideas. And that is at a link at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash fun. And you can get that guide. And I think it'll really help you a lot, again, with your child's sensory issues at home, um, but also some ways to help with the entertainment now um, because we are home a little bit more than usual as well. And today I wanted to interview, inter, uh, introduce you to Margaret, or she goes by Peggy Glennie. So Peggy Glennie is a developmental audiologist. And since 1984, Peggy has worked as an audiologist working in hospitals and universities throughout the U.S. as both an instructor and a trainer for the Certified Occupational Hearing Conservationist Program. She has provided clinical supervision for graduate students in both speech pathology and audiology and taught graduate-level courses in industrial audiology. Peggy uh, has her teacher certification in English 6th through 12th grade, 
ELL K through 12 and speech communication. And from September 27th through the present, she's owned a private practice in Renoke, Virginia, specializing in helping children exhibiting neurodevelopmental delays, which often include hyperacusis and misophonia, and I'll have her explain those to you, and other sensory and central auditory processing issues. Her website is sensoryctr, for center.com. And of course, I will create, I have created a show notes page for you, and any links that I give out, including the free at-home fun guide, will be on today's show notes, which will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 84, just the numbers 84, 84. So that'll all be there for you. So if you're out on your morning walk or you're driving or um, or I'm throwing out a lot of links to you, you don't have to worry about scrambling for a pen. If you just remember that uh, the show notes page, everything will be there for you. And Peggy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I've not done an episode on the audiology and, and the pathology of it. And there are, I know are so many children out there that have this that it's it's not even detected. And sometimes parents don't even know to check for it. And if they do, they might not have the right resource. So welcome and thank you for being here with us today. Karen, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to speak and uh and happy, very happy to be here today. And how did you get into this? Did you have a child that had some issues, or was it from uh, your teaching background? My, my grandson. <laughs> so um, I have a grandson that's turning 10, and um, I watched his development, and I graduated from graduate school, um, University of Connecticut in 1985, and to be quite honest, Karen, I don't think there was anything being talked about, at least not formally in my education, about autism and hearing processing problems. Uh, and so I watched my grandson, and he, you know, my daughter went back and took him. You know, most newborns are screened for peripheral hearing loss before they leave the hospital in most countries these days, and that is largely because of the work of Marion Downs and the acknowledgement of how important it is that, that your hearing is working properly in order for children to develop speech and language properly, uh, social skills, all kinds of things. And, um, and I watched Luke, my grandson, and uh, he, received, my daughter took him for follow-up hearing tests and they all came back normal because they were all checking for peripheral hearing, which is just your hearing sensitivity. It's not really testing how your brain hears and whether your brain is functioning correctly. And then at about two and a half, he got an autism diagnosis. And then I observed his symptoms, which were hyperacusis and that he could hear sounds outside like an airplane before I could even hear them. And he covered his ears. And then I thought, his auditory system isn't working correctly. <laughs> and um, that got me thrown back into a certain segment of audiology, which is called central auditory processing problems. And that research has been around for a very long time. And as you mentioned, the temporal lobe, um, some of the tests that were developed to test for central auditory processing problem were predicated on the work of adults with known temporal brain lesions, and they would see that people would lose language or have hard, a harder time retrieving words. And so the test battery that was developed originally was predicated on the work that was done with those patients. <clears throat> 
So that's how I landed into my field or my specialty field of audiology. And I also like to get the word out because um, we need more audiologists that, uh, that make this their specialty. Or, you know, there are a lot of kids in need. And when I finally do find parents who maybe aren't close to me, um, there's just there's a very small group of audiologists that do this work at this point in this therapy. Okay, you know, we're, I want to definitely get into, you know, the specifics of audiology and some of the vestibular issues. Um, We're going to take a short break right here. And then when we come back, we'll dive right back into that. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We will be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it hi there and welcome back to naturally recovering autism i'm your host karen thomas and today we're talking with margaret or penny glennie who is a specialist in auditory disorders and interventions for children with autism and let's talk a bit about um, some of the missing links that are happening in traditional testing and you know kind of red flags and things that parents Parents might want to look for. Um, so, Peggy, can you give us some background there? Yeah, so a traditional hearing test for a pediatric um, patient would be having the child listen to tones, having the child raise their hand if they're capable, putting a block in a bucket. Um, and audiologists don't just do one hearing test, what we would call a pure tone hearing test, which is oftentimes what people are screened with. Um, We have a battery of tests that we do with an initial evaluation. There is some research that that one test that we do is showing some promise in potentially identifying kids with developmental delays. And that's a test that, in my opinion, should be done on any kid that you can get it done at. If you're good enough, you usually can. And it's a test that oftentimes is done when a child has had a history of of a lot of ear infections, and we can talk about that more because that's definitely a risk factor for developmental delays. But there's a little reflex in your middle ear, and we have an instrument that we use to check whether or not the eardrum is moving correctly and to see if that muscle is uh, working properly. And there's a little bit of research from Jackie Davies. She's down in Florida. And then there's another group over in Pittsburgh or Erie that have found um, that, that that little muscle has a delayed response and that that is consistent with the symptoms of children exhibiting hyperacusis, which would make sense because that muscle needs to contract in order to protect your ears from loud sounds. Um, and so but the traditional auditory processing battery that was developed, as I said, years ago, um, 
is really is hard to do on on kids until they're somewhat verbal. And so in my work and investigation, crossing out of audiology and into other disciplines is that there are ways to check a child's hearing hearing ability, let's say in their central in their brain, um, that are that are relatively easy uh, for parents to identify and for practitioners would have the support to say, yes, this kid is auditorily delayed. What is the name of that test or what would a parent look for when they wanted to find this particular middle ear reflex test that checks this central portion of the brain and not just the hearing, but the actual brain's response? Is there a name for it or something they could ask for? Uh, Well, I mean, people will call it a middle ear analyzer. Um, Everyday audiologists will say, did you do a tympanogram? Did you do reflexes on this patient? But it's... uh, you know, it's it's essentially a machine that, um, like I said, changes the air pressure and measures the reflex. But I think if a parent walked in there and said, you know, I want you to check this middle ear muscle reflex on my child, every audiologist would know what that parent was asking for. And why don't they do that? Or do they, do they, if they have the equipment, is it something that they don't traditionally just think about doing anyway? You have to ask for it? Um, they would say... Um, it depends on the patient, you know, in all fairness to my fellow practitioners, um, when you're working with a kid, you're trying to, you're trying to rule out a serious hearing loss. And so depending on the attention level of the kid and everything else, um, you're trying to get your basic audiogram. Can this child hear at 5,000 Hertz, a thousand Hertz, 2000 Hertz, which is important because you have to make sure that their hearing is normal. My point is that kids that have speech and language delays, they may have a normal audiogram, but they're not hearing normally. And, and we, you know, we need to do a better job at that instead of just saying, well, your kid has autism and, you know, go back to your doctor. Um, there's, there's an ample amount of evidence when you get into really raw data instead of symptomatology and I had an article published in a journal called Hearing Balance and Communication. And there's one tool that audiologists use, and it's called Nerve Conduction Velocity by Neurologists. And we call it Auditory Brainstem Response. But it does measure the neural response all the way along uh, the auditory nerve, all the way from the beginning, all the way up to the auditory cortex. Um, but these tests aren't being done traditionally on kids with ADD, ADHD, autism, but the the research that is being done is showing that they, compared to normals, have all kinds of aberrations along the auditory pathway. In other so words, a, they have hearing problems. <laughs> right, right. And then, you, like you're saying, it's there's like we we kind of lump this a little bit into the sensory processing disorder issue, and we can talk about vestibular issues and what those will do as well. But, and again, from my craniosacral background, I know that the temporal bones around the ears they have the organs of hearing and balance, but they they also um, there's a whole processing area about around speech and language and um, and the processing of it and the cranial nerves being able to feed the tongue. I mean, there's so many things that go go into right. speaking that we don't really think about. It you know, and these tests sound like they're just testing the the general. Um, okay, well, can they hear? You know, they can. Okay, they can hear that, but but then there's the processing inside, which right. is really where the whole brain issue comes in. 
And and right. so do you have more on that? Is that where some of this middle ear reflex will help too, that testing? Well, the middle ear reflex is at a fairly low juncture in, in the brain. It's in the auditory brain stem and, and um it's 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 where signals from the right ear cross over to the left side of the brain and vice versa. So it's the first juncture in the auditory pathway where signals are starting to cross over. And Karen, they, as you say, the brain is a complicated thing. I don't know if you've ever read The Brain That Changes Itself, and people have been writing about this forever. I mean, the corpus callosum is very, very important for speech and language. That's why people say they're left and right-brained if they're more verbal. The work of Doreen Kimura was actually very interesting. She, she wrote a book called Sex and Cognition, and she talked about the differences in, you know, we know that there's a right ear advantage uh, in some of the tests of central auditory processing, and that's taken into account. But yes, the brain is a complicated thing, and the tests that are traditionally used are are very effective, but um, it's more symptomatology that will help people to get their kids in for therapy earlier, which is extremely important. Right. Okay. I think those the symptoms are are always the best key for parents to know about because um, I I from my own personal experience as well I found you don't want to just listen to what somebody has learned in through textbooks because it's not always by the book you have to <laughs> to know what to look for. Uh, we're going to take a short break right here. When we come back, we'll we'll dive back into this as well. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We will be right back. Hi there and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking with Margaret Peggy Glennie about auditory disorders and interventions for children with autism. And let's talk about some of the red flags, the symptoms that parents would want to look for, because you know, as I've learned my and my on my own journey, you don't just want to go by what somebody says, oh, the book doesn't say that, or that's not what I learned in school, or that's not the typical. You need to know for yourself what are some symptoms to look for, and and you're the best one as a parent to know if your child has those symptoms. And so, Peggy, if you can give us some uh, some indications of things that parents, some symptoms they might want to look for that could be somewhat red flags or indicate that their child should get this further testing. Yes. Okay. So one uh one one thing that is kind of interesting is audiologists before everything became so automated would test a newborn's hearing. This is how I learned to test. And uh, we would put them in a booth and we'd present a stimulus and we would look for the startle reflex. And so the startle reflex is present at birth, but it integrates uh, by three months of age, more or less, as a ballpark figure. And so when people bring home their newborns, they would want to be seeing their infant startle. They startle to, you know, louder sounds. They startle to light, you know, a change in light. Um, and they would want to see that dissipate by about three months of age. So that's something to look for um, that's very early on. Um, another red flag is for your baby not to be babbling, and babbling is really defined as a consonant and a vowel together. So a baby starts to coo, and then they start to babble. And the interesting part about that, and this does get into the brain, and as you said, sensory processing um, kinds of uh, ideas, is that uh, deaf babies babble. So 
the thinking is that when babies are starting to babble, they are getting that neuromuscular feedback into their brain. This is how I make this sound. This is how I move my mouth to make this sound. Um, and there was actually a great book that a woman wrote a long time ago called Learning to Hear. So I oftentimes talk about the analogy of uh, we need the instrument, so we need the auditory system to be working correctly. And then the sheet music would be the auditory input or exposure. And most people, when they see baby babble, they babble back. <laughs> and so they're getting constant reinforcement. And, but deaf babies babble for a while, and then they stop because they aren't getting the auditory feedback, even though arguably they are getting the neuromuscular motor feedback. But they, so babbling is both neuromuscular motor and auditory. And so if a baby doesn't battle, babble, that is a big red flag. And I've talked to a lot of parents when I do my case history, and they will oftentimes say, he never babbled. He never babbled. And they didn't, um, they, their child then was just silent other than crying? Yep, yep. They, they might have made noises. And then and it's very interesting because then that doesn't necessarily mean that your child isn't going to talk. I mean, I don't think my grandson babbles very much at all. He does talk now. He has what in the field is called mostly echolalia, which means he echoes what people hear. And this gets into the work of Augie Muller, who's a neuroscientist in Texas, and he talked about um, a primary and secondary auditory pathway. And the idea is that when babies are born, they're mostly hanging out in their primary uh, auditory pathway, and then that settles down along with the primitive reflexes, and then it allows the development of the higher auditory pathway, which is what you know, most of us use, not that the other one can't be activated, but that's what we want developed, and that's what learning to hear uh, basically accomplishes. I do know, too, that um, dizziness is a big one. Like, uh, it can even go into with adults tinnitus, but dizziness, um, a lot of, or their gait is off, as we mentioned, like, they they have trouble uh, walking clearly, or you're, this is a big sign of temporal bone imbalance, I always remember, too, with if you feel really clumsy, or days when you yep. can't seem to get your words, you know, together correctly, um, you might be having that. I'm uh, uh, issues there with your temporal bones and the, the temporal audiology. And I'm wondering too, for children with autism, they might have started speaking and then stopped speaking. Or what's really common is that they're maybe the age of two or even three, and they're not speaking yet. What What would you say to that parent? Uh, what would I say to that parent? Um, well, that would get into some of the therapies that I would recommend, and I can I can list those things out for you because, as I said, they cross disciplines. I mean, there I know some audiologists that do this work with kids, um, but there are other people. So, in other words, uh, Svetlana Maskatova, if you look up MNRI interventions, she does a lot of work with integrating primitive reflexes and getting them to calm down. I couple her work when I'm working with my clients with auditory input as well. So, uh, um, but, but she does amazing things. I mean, her work is, is very, very good. And so you can look up an MRI therapist. 
There are people that do rhythmic movement training, and those are very simple exercises that parents can do at home with their kids if, they're, if they can get their kids to do them. Um, they, they also address some of the overreactive primitive reflexes and try to get those to calm down. Um, and as a craniosacral therapist, you, you know, you would kind of know this, uh, you know, they're doing things that will help blood flow to the brain, um, a rhythmic calming motion, and, um, you know, just it's, uh, it's pretty interesting stuff, and it's, it's very easy for parents to do. I've been trained in that as well. Um, balance boards, you know, well, you said a two- to three-year-old that isn't talking. You know, it's just it's more that at some point I would encourage parents that they need to seek help beyond their pediatrician or whoever they are seeing because most pediatricians aren't aren't educated about these things. Uh, you know, sadly, they they just aren't. Right, it's not part of the general training, so that's where that's where something like this where I'm glad that we're educating the general public and parents so that they have their own education. We need to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. Today, we are talking with Peggy Glennie on auditory issues for autism uh, and relating to autism. We talked about some of the red flags and the symptoms, um, but it's also important to know um, some of the risk factors. Oh, I also wanted to mention um, that Peggy had mentioned rhythmic movement training. And um, as you know, in the past, in a past episode, I have interviewed the creator of that Sonia story, and I linked directly to her program at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash move, M-O-V-E. And I will link to that in today's show notes, uh, which again will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 84 so that you uh, remember that as well. I know I always throw out a lot of the links, so just remember that one and you'll you'll get everything. Um, so uh, Peggy, why don't we talk about some of the risk factors that are at hand? You know, these children with autism, have a, a lot of other health issues going on, and that's a lot of what I'm about is helping people with the health issues. And maybe they not might not relate or understand that it could relate to something like hearing. So, um, do you want to talk about a couple of those and how they might affect? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, starting with primitive reflexes. I mean, most audiologists don't know this, and most parents don't know this. Um, you know, the idea of elective C-sections, people should at least have informed consent. Uh, when you go through a vaginal delivery, that helps to integrate the asymmetric tonic neck reflex, and that reflex is important for auditory and vestibular development. So um, another, another thing is nursing. You know, in the United States, we have a pretty low rate of breastfeeding, and breastfeeding is very important for the sucking reflex and integrating that and uh, exercising the muscles that will later be used in speech production. So uh, the, more, the more women can breastfeed and be in that position, those are always good things. Um, and on the, on the breastfeeding also helps with a decrease in ear infections. And most people don't know that the ear infection rate has increased dramatically in the last 20 years with kids going to daycare earlier and earlier and less mother baby time. And um, another thing that people don't know is that in Europe, um, non-invasive measures, not antibiotics, are used to treat ear infections. 
and uh, there's really no support for the uh, use of antibiotics in the treatment of middle ear fluid or ear infections. So they use ear warmers and a few, they do craniosacral therapy. And, um, and because antibiotics, we all know, can mess up your guts, and that's particularly an issue with a young kid. Um, and then you have all the externals that aren't so good in the world we live in, which is EMF exposure, and generally screen time is decreasing the amount of auditory um, material that's just out there. I mean, people used to talk about auditory deprivation, and and um, ear infections and having fluid in the middle ear is a form of auditory deprivation and kids will lag behind in their speech and language development if they've had that. But there's also heavy metal exposure as a mother and baby. You want to keep that to a minimum. Aluminum, lead, mercury, cadmium, uh, fluoride, genetics, food additives, MSG, hydrogenated oils, glyphosate, Roundup, which is used you know, very liberally in our food supply. And these are all things that um, parents should take a look at and um, be particularly careful about when they are pregnant and nursing. Yeah, I have a, a the top a guide free guide to the top seven foods to eliminate that will help to <laughs> reduce your child's symptoms of autism. People are usually amazed that there, there are things that people are feeding their their children every day. Um, and I'll link to that in the show notes. It's easy. Naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash seven foods, the number seven and no space, seven foods. But um, yeah, I mean, the, and like you said, the heavy metals uh, are, are really, really crucial too. And there are so many food additives, genetically modified foods, glyphosate now being sprayed on our crops, where it makes uh, gluten, um, the, 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 the protein in wheat and uh, most of our crops, corn and and dairy, all of those things so inflammatory that, um, you know, it's so important for people to realize and their kids get addicted to them. And that's the first thing I hear is, yeah. you know, how, how do I get my child off this? Yes, they are literally right. addicted to these foods and for multiple yeah. reasons. And so it's crucial to wean them slowly off of those foods. So um, again, that, that link will be there in the show notes for you. So, um, yeah, so, and breastfeeding. And that's all affecting their brain, as you know, Karen. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, as an audiologist, I never knew until a few years ago, you know, uh, vaccine injury is a very real thing, especially with the intensity, the increased intensity of the vaccine schedule for young people. And so I now routinely ask about adverse reactions to vaccines and as a healthcare professional, I'm I'm sort of chagrined to admit that I I didn't even know there was a vaccine adverse injury reporting system until I learned about my grandson. Uh, but I sometimes work at the uh, local veterans administration, and I had a a patient come in and tell me he had auditory hallucinations following a fluor pneumonia vaccine, and and that's a very real side effect, and it's also an indication that even in an adult, and he was, he was an elderly man, that um, vaccines are definitely causing problems in the auditory system. Yeah, they're they're causing I'm uh, just just countless um, countless issues. Uh, I have I've done an, an entire show. I interviewed I've interviewed some experts, um, J.B. Hanley, 
uh, Sherry Tenpenny. I link right. to multiple studies. J.B. Hanley's book, How to End the Autism Epidemic, is filled with mm-hmm. lawyer depositions. I mean, for people, as I try to educate because it can be controversial and I don't want anybody to, you know, I want people to know, parents especially, to be educated of the dangers of these. It's your choice, but if you, you know, you have to understand what what the risk factors are. And so, yeah, that's very important. And from you to say directly that you have seen that it does affect the auditory um, issues, which again, speech, I hear a lot of parents, probably so many, way over I would say over 70% of the people I work with will say that they their child was developing normally uh, and uh, they were maybe had normal speech and were fine and they had a vaccine and they all of a sudden lost their speech and they um, came up with the symptoms of autism. You know, they just started to to yeah. to just duplicate. So um, it is important to be educated on that for sure. And I can link to um, in the show notes, I will link to those, uh, those episodes so that uh, that anybody listening can get, get that information as well. We're going to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. We will be right back. Hi there. Welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas. Today, we are talking with Margaret Peggy Glennie on uh, auditory disorders and interventions for children with autism. And I think it's important to know where you might be able to get some types of of training um, where where you live as well and how children can benefit from this. So Peggy, can you give us some, some resources and, and some uh, what parents should be looking for in a training um, that is proper for these children? Right. So Karen, I, I guess I'd say that um, by the time your kids are school age, you know, schools generally in the United States employ speech pathologists, much more rare is for them to employ an audiologist. And as I said, this, Auditory processing um, has been around in audiology, but maybe it hasn't been promoted that much in the last 40 or 50 years. But I'd say um, there is an International Guild of Auditory Processing Specialists, igaps.org, and that has a listing internationally of people that do testing, testing and or therapy for auditory processing. The problem is that most, you know, uh, most school districts aren't going to refer for that, and I've seen kids, you know, just kids with ADHD, kind, you know, clean up their diet a little bit and get some auditory processing training. And Jack Katz, who's kind of, I think he's in his 80s, and he developed one of the most uh, utilized tests for auditory processing disorders called the Staggered Spondaic Word Test, which really is a Cadillac test if you can get a kid to do it. But he also developed a therapy program. And so there are... Um, there's also forebrain, which stimulates the, ba- uh, the bone conduction in the brain, and, and the research on that is very interesting. There's integrated listening systems. That's something from Stephen Porges, and he talks about the vagus nerve being very important for brain function. But straight-up auditory training and auditory um, is, is really underutilized, and children benefit enormously from that because if you can find an audiologist to do that, they can isolate the ears and they can train, you know, what we would call the weaker ear. And so, you know, if you can get a kid to accept headphones, you can do training to bring up that left ear to be more functional, and there are not that many people that can provide that service other than audiologists because you need headphones. Although... I suppose you could be innovative and do those kinds of things, but 
probably audiologists are most likely to, you know, center on that or focus on that. Well, a lot of kids with autism, you know, you'll see them wearing the um, the headphones for sensory, um, just to right. reduce the sensory overload. So I, I think a lot of them are pr- probably pretty open to it. And then when you mentioned the, the, which one would you say is like, you said there's kind of like the Cadillac test and, and you said that kind of quickly, I didn't catch the, the, the name of it or the person's name. So which one did right. you say was that? So- uh, Jack Katz is an audiologist in his 80s, and he spent his whole life talking about auditory processing disorders, and has arguably kept it alive in the field because what happened to audiology is we started to sell hearing aids. You know, in the early uh, 80s or late 70s, audiologists sent their people to a hearing aid dealer, and that was considered not to be professional. And so we've been selling hearing aids, and just these things happen in a field. But Jack Katz invented what is called the spondaic word staggered spondaic word test and it just takes two words like cupcake and baseball and cup will go to the right ear cake and base will go simultaneously to the right and left ear and ball will go to the left ear and anyway it's just a test that really is incredibly informative of how the auditory brain is functioning i've seen people with completely normal hearing uh, that had temporal a history of temporal brain injury and um and it it will reveal that they're having major problems on one side as opposed to the other. And so if you can get a kid to do a test like that, that's a great test to do. There, there are plenty of other tests that are also helpful, but that one is the Cadillac, been around a long time, and Jack Cat's been, you know, on this for decades. And is that something that a parent can, because Jack Katz has gotten this out there, is that something that a lot of audiologists throughout the, the country or the world are using so that it might be something that you could be able to find near you? Yeah, you could. I mean, you can say, I want the staggered spondaic word test to be part of my kids' testing. Can you do that? Jack Katz has also developed a therapy for kids, an auditory training therapy for kids called the Buffalo Model because he was at any buffalo for years but and it's it's very effective and so there are there are audiologists out there that do this therapy and do the testing and know that auditory processing is an issue for kids with autism ADD ADHD um, a lot of the labels that we give our kids now um, in my opinion are really are really could fall under brain injury uh, brain trauma or brain damage and and you know the neuroplasticity of the brain is an amazing thing Um, and if you can kind of retrain that auditory system you can see some amazing things happen yeah i have been trying to to get the word out and teach people for years now that it is a scientific fact the brain can and does heal and things Mm -hmm. like the mold biotoxins, Lyme, um, the PANS, the autoimmunity, where the immune system attacks the brain, uh, the heavy metals, the toxic exposure, the pesticides, all of these things are damaging our brains and our children's brains. And that's why there's so much autism these days. And and so right. what we need to do is clean, clean up our child's diet and detoxify them properly and and get these co-infections out and do all of this and then basically when all of that stuff is out of the way then the brain repair types of things are that much more effective because you don't have all of this 
inflammation and toxic load on the brain that it's trying to work against. So, um, yeah, definitely. Agree wholeheartedly. You detox and then the brain's ready to, you know, get what it should have been getting all along auditorily and in lots of other ways, you know. Right. Yeah, that's what's so important, I think, is to to understand that, you know, auditory, just, just therapies, that's why I have it as stage four, these therapies, some of them are, they're very, very important. But if you have an, an intense toxic load on a system, and these infections and the immune systems attacking the brain, and basically the brain is just completely inflamed, um, it, it can't function properly. Uh, last week's episode I did on the NeuroQuant brain scan, which is actually a, a type of a additional type of MRI scanning that has been added on uh, to a, as a software program that can show where brain damage has has happened from you know many of these different things like like we're talking about here. And how then just to let parents know that the brain can and does heal and this damage can be reversed. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, and with parents, you know, fearing for their child and worrying, um, if you know the right things to do that your child can get better. That's that's my, my biggest message always is to know that, that yes, your child can improve um, if you know right. what to do. Uh, We need to take a very short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it hi there and welcome back to naturally recovering autism i am your host karen thomas and again i want to remind you that today's show notes will be at naturally recovering autism.com forward slash 84 and Dr. Glennie, um, or Peggy, I wanted to ask you about, you know, there are some assessments that, that people can do. And we have parents listening. And what I think, too, is educating the parents who are going to their maybe a practitioner that can help educate the practitioners who ultimately get a lot of these parents coming in and, and sometimes need a little bit more education and are open to it. Uh, there are a lot of practitioners that listen to this show as well so for the parents and the practitioners is you have a a performance type of of assessment that that parents could utilize and that you said that uh, also their practitioners could as well for just kind of a basic assessment so can you tell us about that I can. So, um, Karen, you're probably aware of Winnie Dunn developed the sensory profile, um, but there wasn't anything specifically for audition, which, of course, is what you need for speech and language development. And so I developed a one-page birth to 12 months 
yes, no, sometimes, or don't know questions. For example, you know, does your baby seem to recognize your voice from birth to three months? Does your baby babble? Does your baby look in the direction of the sound or localize? And it's, it is an easy, quick uh, measure of whether or not your kid is tracking auditorily. And I think it could be used by parents and, as you say, brought into their healthcare professionals and say, look, you know, and I, I derived my performance scale from old work, uh, some from professional organizations, but just I wanted a very, very simple measure um, for parents um, and for, you know, pediatricians, family practitioners, nurse practitioners that just would ask these questions of their parents and that they, you know, they might actually do it if it was simple and easy and fast. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, people want simple, that's for sure. Yeah, if it gets complicated, <laughs> they, they <laughs> kind of lose it a little right. bit. So wh- how, where, can they, where can they get that um, that resource from you? Yeah, um, I mean, I should probably post it on my website, but in the interim, Karen, I'd say just anybody can email me and I'd be happy happy to send it to them. Or maybe I should, I can email it to you and you can throw it up. I mean, uh, okay. But, yeah, go ahead and send it to me, and then I can add it to the show notes page, and that people could um, could grab that resource there. Okay. Um, if that works for you easily enough, however however you'd like to do it, yeah, that would be great because I think, yeah. and I would love to have that resource on the page as well because I I think it's important for parents to know. Um, you know, what are those, those symptoms that we're looking at for, and you're talking about, you know, perfect, what they're supposed to be doing from birth to six months and from six to 12 months and, and just kind of the general milestones that if you're not seeing these or, um, other red flags, you know, to look for, I think, you know, that we've covered here as well, that you might know to go to a practitioner and find again, one of these specialists, um, that we will again link to in the show notes, but, um, but there are so so many different things for parents to know about, and again, trying to just take the 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 lump of information and consolidate it and simplify it and give the resources, but but also to have the knowledge of of what to look for. So that is really really important. We have just. Well, a, I'm sure you probably emphasize this. You go with your parent gut, and this mm-hmm. is just a way for parents to have a tool where they they have something concrete. And one mother said to me once, I don't think anything really is very wrong, but something's not right. And I just thought <laughs> that was quite the statement because parents in their gut, they know these things. They they do know these things in their gut. Yeah, I have a, my son just graduated college. He's last week, actually, he's 24. He's great. He's fine. And I was, we were told by multiple therapists that um, it was our fault. We were bad parents. And that was why he was behaving the way he was. And uh, yeah, until he was finally, but we, I said, you know, he's my firstborn, but my gut is telling me something else is going on with this child. There's more to it. So do trust that gut instinct. We are out of time today. Thank you so much, Peggy, for being here with us. Greatly appreciate it. And again, everybody, your show notes will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 84. Thanks for being here and we will see you next week. Mm